to church. Go sit down. Stop talking to each other. <laughs> Enough of this. All right. So if kids want to head out to reach kids right now, they can do that. All right. Off we go with our light up sneakers. All right. So good morning. All right. Pray with me. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of Jesus. Thank you for seeing our sin and seeing the death that we brought about ourselves. But, Father, thank you for, for enduring that death on the cross in the person of Jesus. Father, we are humbled to see um, the extent of your great obedience to, to pay for our sins. And, Father, I ask that it's, it's with that realization that we would, we would come to this text that these are the commandments that, that you fulfilled first and you fulfilled on our behalf. And Father, we ask that these would be um, blessings to us, that as we look at your commandments, we'd see them as promises that we will fulfill through the spirit that's given to us by Jesus. Father, would you open our hearts and open our minds and would you do things with this passage that we would be changed, that we would not leave the same. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, you would fill this, your word, and not let it go go out in vain and return in vain. Change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are moving through the Ten Commandments uh, this summer. And we are on, they're looking at the Ten Promises, though. So Jesus turns commandments into promises. He gives us the power to fulfill these things that we could not fulfill before. So that's what we're looking at. Today we are looking at the second commandment, the second promise, essentially saying we are not supposed to make graven images. So if we, if we are trying to worship Yahweh, we shall not do it with statues of him. We cannot make a, a physical representation of our God. Now saying that, you're probably wondering, okay, I... I think I got that one. I think I can check that one off the list. We can move on to some of the harder ones. I have not seen a, a graven image in any of your houses. Um, if, if you do have them, you're hiding them, and properly so. Uh, all right, so what, what do we do with this commandment? All right, there's two things that we can do. Uh, the one thing we can do is uh, we can generalize it, generalize it, and just talk about um, worship in general. That this is the general commandment that says, that we're supposed to worship this God, Yahweh, how he has told us to worship him. How he has told us to worship him. Um, and that's where we're distinguishing between the first commandment. The first commandment was who we are supposed to worship. We're supposed to worship Yahweh. That was hopefully clear last, last week. Uh, and now we're talking about, okay, how do we worship him? We don't worship him through images. But I actually, I actually want to do something a little bit different. Um, I want to talk about images themselves. I want to talk about the, the ancient tradition of using images, of using these kind of statues, and what the point in that was. That as we look at a historical book, the historical Bible, and understand the history and the traditions of it, we'll actually come to, to greater realizations than we thought possible. So we're not just trying to th throw this away and like, oh, we don't really do that anymore. Let's talk about something else. We want to understand why they did it. And how we can have that same heart, what it shows about us and what it shows about God. So we're going to do two, uh, three things. We're going to talk about what, what 
images were used for in the ancient Near East. So a history lesson, that's fun. All right, second, we're going to talk about why God was so against this. What does it show about his nature, his character? And third, what does his commandment show us about Jesus and who we really are? All right, sound like a plan? All right, so let's turn to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, we're looking at verses 4 through 6. Exodus 20, we're looking at 4 through 6. Look at these guys already. So on top of it. All right. Exodus 20, verse 4. Read with me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So let's jump in. All right, what was the point of images in the ancient Near East? The point of images. This is a way of worshiping God, the way of worshiping any God, and was the traditional way of, of worshiping a God in the ancient Near East. And that's where this commandment is not so much about who you worship, it's about how you worship Yahweh. That when, they, when the Israelites were going through the wilderness, they, they stopped at Sinai. When they threw gold into the fire and pulled out this calf, that they would worship it, they were calling it Yahweh. They, they were saying, this is, this, is, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They weren't inventing a new God. They were representing him in a graven image. Now, why did people in the ancient Near East do that? I'd say it's for, for three main reasons. It's to, to represent your God, to represent his nature. Second, it's to, it's to kind of dampen his power a little bit, make him a little more accessible. And third, we make these images so we can control the God. Representation, dampening, and controlling the power of God. So, let's look at each of these. So you're, you're trying to represent your God. So in the ancient years, you, you, you want to show people who your God is, what your God is like. And so you're going to show that physically as much as you can. So let's say you have a God that you believe is, has a hand in everything, orchestrates every single event. How do, you, how do you show that that God has his hand in everything? You give him eight hands. You have eight hands, so okay, okay, we can see. We can see that he's working, that he's doing things. How do you show a God that is powerful? You make him a bull. You make him a lion. You make him a scary creature. All right, how do you show a God that, that's crafty, that is wise? You make him a fox. All right, it's, it's a way of, of representing your God as tangibly as you can. All right, second thing. Second thing, you want to dampen down the power of your God. Now, that sounds weird, but... Why would, you want to, why would you want to decrease the power of your God, kind of mitigate his power a little bit? Because gods are scary. Gods are scary and they are holy and they are powerful. 
And so what do you do? You have to, you have to kind of dial them down a little bit. All right, so analogy for this. All right, so the, the power station. The power station sends out maybe like 100,000 volts. And they're shooting it to your house. And when you plug in your toaster, you need, you need 220, all right? So if you're plugging in your toaster to that, it's going to get fried, you're going to get fried, the whole house is going to get fried. It's too much. All right, so what do you do? You, you get transformers. They, they, they reduce down the power level so it's, so it's not going to blow you up. All right, that's an idle. That's what an idle does. An idle kind of shoots down this power and makes it, okay, I'll just, just enough. Just enough power that it can, like, even sit in your living room without blowing you up. It's containing the God that could, that could destroy you. All right, third, third. Images are a way of controlling your God. So if you have this God in front of you, you can do certain rituals that can get that God on your side. So you can kiss the image, you can burn candles in front of the image, you can sacrifice and put blood on the image. And the hope is that, that then that God and that God's power will be under your control. That as much as you are serving the God, the God is then supposed to serve you. All right. So we as modern people, what do we do with that? I think the natural tendency is to say, okay, that's, that's barbaric. That's myth. That's just a stupid way of, of approaching any god. Now, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Because that's actually not how, not how God ends up using this idea of graven images. That as we see it, we start to see some things that, are, that actually kind of make sense. That, okay, you want to represent your god. If you love your God, you want, to, you want to show that God off. You want to show off your God's power. You want to see it. You want it to be present. Likewise, it's actually, it's actually a, a truth that gods who are holy are dangerous. They are dangerous. And we do need to kind of protection from them. And finally, there are things that we, that we need from God. We're not independent creatures. We depend upon our creators. And so, so what does God do? God hates, hates these images. But what he does, he, he like kind of twists it around. So let's, let's move there. Why does God hate these images? What is he trying to do in commanding us not to use them? Well, we'll look at those same three categories. So representation. Why does God hate being represented by graven images? By the likeness of these things that we said, the, the things in the sea, the things in the sky, the things on the earth. It's because if, if you were to create an idol from a piece of wood, it would be a bad representation of God. It'd be a bad representation. Now why? Why? Jeremiah is probably our best example of this. So he, he's looking, he's looking at these idols. They're carved of stone, they are carved of wood. And he's saying, okay, if this is your representation to your God, this is what I see about your God. This is what your God must be like. And he says, your idol doesn't talk. The image doesn't talk, your, dog, your God must be dumb, must be mute, it must not speak. 
Your God, your, your, your image, it never moves. It never does anything. Your God must be paralyzed. Must be lame. Your God, your God is blind. It cannot see. Your image is just as blind. The, the, the parallel starts to get kind of insulting. And that's where God, God is alive. God sees and he works and he does. And he will not be represented as this block of wood. Now we're thinking, okay, we don't have idols. What does this mean? Who cares? This is the important part, is that, that God instead, he made his own images. He made images that would represent him well. That is what humanity is. That God created us in his image. And then when God wanted to show the world what he was like, he put his images, you and me, here on this earth to represent him. That we see because God sees, we hear because he hears, we speak because he speaks, we do things because God does things. And we are a living image. And that's where this commandment is not just, oh, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have little statues in my house. No, it's that this is my, your identity as a Christian and as a human is that you are images of God. And that your whole purpose is to reflect and represent him to the world. And so when you go to work, you are not just going to work, you are going as the image of the creator. You are taming creation, you are in some sense, reflecting this God who, who speaks light into existence, that is what you are doing. That when you're, you're enjoying yourself, you're recreating, you're embodying the joy and the, the work of God, the beauty of God. That everything we do is supposed to be saturated with a reflection of him. That we don't like graven images because we are the real images. That's the point. All right, second, second. If God isn't so, isn't, he's not against representation holistically. He's just against it when it's bad. He hates bad art, but not, not the whole thing. All right? In the same way, he, does, he, does, he hate just, does he hate this idea that you need to dampen down his power? That you need to make him, make him less dangerous? I would say no. Because God is dangerous. We're an unholy people before a holy God. And actually, God, God does this himself. We see throughout scripture, there's, there's things like the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about that last week. The Indiana Jones Hitler killer, all right? <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, it is God's present in, in war. That he will destroy his enemies. And he does. He is present with that Ark. We see the same thing in the temple, in the tabernacle, that... God is present in all his holiness and all of his power in this one little spot in an actual tangible building. That that is containing his holiness so that we aren't destroyed by it. We see other things like, like the bronze serpent that's lifted up when the people were poisoned by snakes. The healing power of God was put in this bronze serpent. So when they would look upon that, 
they would be saved. God isn't against accommodating his people. He will be with them in a way that, that mitigates his holiness. It does not destroy his creation. And that's where we're actually, we are that. We are a representation of God's power in, in miniature, but we are a representation of his power. That God sends us out to be his hands and feet, that when you serve the poor, that is God serving the poor through you. When you love people, that is God's power being executed. That that's who we are. And so if God, God isn't against kind of representation in total, if he's not against dampening his power, what is he against? He's against us trying to control and manipulate him. To use ritual that, to get God on our side, to make God serve us. That's the heart of this commandment. That's the danger of our hearts and what we try to do with God. And God will not be manipulated. That's where every, every time that, all those, all those things we talked about earlier, we, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple, that bronze serpent, they were all good at one time, but then the people started manipulating God through them. That they took the Ark and they were just going to go fight battles. That God didn't want them to fight, that were not holy, were not what the people were supposed to do. And does God bless that? No, he lets them, he lets them get destroyed. And he lets them steal the, steal the ark. It's, we're not going to play that game. Or we see the temple. And the people say, oh, you know, we're never going to be defeated in battle. How could someone destroy Jerusalem? God actually lives here. He lives here with us. They, we would never lose. And what does he do? God leaves the temple and destroys Jerusalem. Because the people were unholy. The people weren't, weren't loving God. They are using him. That bronze serpent, yeah, that was crushed up and burned because it was used not, not to worship God, it was used to, to manipulate God into healing people. And that's where, that's where that is the heart that we're getting at. That we use and we manipulate and we try to control God. Now, an analogy of this. All right, you guys, you guys know those Amazon Echo things? All right, so they, so they sit there, they sit there and they're, they're supposed to, you're supposed to bark commands at them and they do whatever you say, all right? But most of the time, it just sits in the corner. It sits in the corner and it's quiet. Now, we recently acquired three of these because Casey, Casey became a big fan. So it sits there and listens to our every word and, uh, and spies on us, but but it's quiet, so we're fine. Um, but what does it do? It, it waits until it hears its name, and then it, then it obeys. We say, hey, Alexa, go, go play whatever. It's <laughs> usually like Remy music, which isn't very good. Um, oftentimes, that's what we've done with God. That maybe, maybe there's no idol sitting in our living room, but God is practically in the corner of our living room and if we need him, we say, hey, Yahweh, please help me with my, my job. Please make my kids more obedient. Please make my life less stressful. But otherwise, we just want him to be quiet. 
and we kind of do our due diligence here so that when we do say, hey, Yahweh, he'll listen to us. All right, that's the danger in this commandment. That's what we're trying to, that's what we're trying to see and admit in our hearts. And that's where we, as the image, have destroyed the image. That we were supposed to be reflecting God and instead we put him in the corner and told him to obey. And when you do that with God, God does not obey. Instead, he breaks the image. And we are the broken image of God. And all these things that are supposed to be true of us, that God is holy, but we are not holy. That God is eternal, but we are not eternal. That God is life, but here we are dying. That we decided to break the image, we have lost all purpose and meaning. That's what we've done. And that's what this commandment is about. And so I'm not going to say, okay, do you guys have any graven images? Like, please go burn them, and then, <laughs> then we'll be good. No, the question is, are you being the image of God? Are you living your life in reflection of his character? Are you manifesting his power in creation? Are you being an image? Or are you making him your image? That's the question. And I think the answer is we're all, we're all using him in some regard. I can say that definitively. And I'm sure you can too. And that's where, that's where, okay, the commandment, the commandment needs to become a promise. So what does this show us about Jesus? What does this show about Jesus? I hope you're seeing the, the patterns starting to be woven together here. How does he change our desire to manipulate and control God? Well, we, we can talk about Jesus a hundred different ways. We can talk about the gospel a hundred different ways. And one of the ways we can talk about it is that Jesus is the image of God. That he is the image of God. There's a couple New Testament passages that say that. And that's where we see that, yes, we have broken the image, we have destroyed the image, but Jesus came to restore the image and to be the better image. So what does he do? He represents God to us. He is that tangible, you can reach out and touch him, embodiment of the nature of God. And I hope it's surprising, the God that you see, that he's both, he's both just and he's merciful. That he, he hates sin, but he loves people. And he's, he's humble and he will not tolerate the superficial religion stuff. And the hope is that we start to see, okay, maybe this, my understanding of Yahweh wasn't complete. That needs to be filled out. That I actually should like this Old Testament God. And if I don't, I'm not seeing him right. And if I think these two are totally different, maybe I'm not fully understanding Jesus or Yahweh fully. That I don't understand the Father or the Son. That I don't understand the fullness of God. But Jesus came to represent him. All right, second. Jesus properly contains the power of God. So all the fullness of God is, is present with him, but Jesus didn't come around smiting people. 
and destroying them and burning them up. He was safe. He was safe that you could approach the true and living God. You could touch him. He could come into your living room. And that's where on the cross he makes that, he makes that permanent. That he washes us clean so that we can go to God. That the 100,000 volts are now filtered through this Christ and now we can walk up and touch God himself. And I encourage you, don't put any more barriers there. Jesus is the only filter that you need. If you're using anything else but Jesus to get to God, you don't need it and it's just becoming even worse for you. Cut everything else out. But finally, finally, there's one thing that Jesus is not as the image. That Jesus did not become manifest as the image of God so that we can control and manipulate God. And I think that's, that's the, the scariest thing about our hearts is that we start using this image, Jesus, as a way of controlling God. That we start saying, just like they said before, the temple, the temple, or oh, we have the Ark of the Covenant, and now we say, well, we have Jesus, so, so nothing can touch us. Or God must be on our side, or I can sin as much as I want. No, that is, that is manipulating God through Jesus. And that is not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come so that we could control God or keep him in the corner or neglect him until we needed him. Now, what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to, to die and rise again to restore the image in us so that the connection would be brought back together. so that we would start representing God truly again. So that we would be the power of God present with people. That we'd go out and be the power of salvation and the, the power of love, as much as that sounds like an 80s ballad. Right? That, that's really what he gave us. He gave us true power in the Holy Spirit so that we can become these images and he gave us the power to restore other images that are broken back into right relationship with God. That the people out there, they are worshipers of God. They reflect him, but that, is, that image is broken. And we give people Jesus so that they can be healed. Jesus is the image of God. And thankfully, he is, he is a living image who came down and died for us, who pursued us relentlessly. He speaks, he does, he teaches, he changes us. And one last thing. You don't need to manipulate and control God. That Jesus came and what Jesus did, he, he has given you everything that you should possibly need. He has loved you. He is giving you everything, even as we speak. That the more you try to manipulate him or add things or ask of things of him that are not right, you're getting less, not more. Get nothing but Jesus and you will have everything. Let's pray. Father, 
we confess that we are image makers in our hearts and we we manipulate you and we use you and Father we confess that and we we lay that at the cross and Father we thank you that you have been the true and living image that you would die for us and be raised again that we would be raised as new people as the image of God Father I ask that would that would transform the way we think about our lives that this would not be just a single commandment but that it would, would rule over us and shape how we think about everything that we do Father would you help us to give Jesus to people that they may be restored in the image and reflect you in all of your glory we pray in Jesus name Amen